This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Warning. This podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and today I am joined with my husband, Matt. Hello, hello. Hello. In case you missed our PSA, Jessica is taking a little bit of a hiatus. She had some really, really scary health stuff going on. We were really worried about her, but she is doing okay in real time. She is at home and relaxing and recovering and taking care of herself. So we are sending her well wishes. Make sure y'all do too in the group and other socials if you would like. If you are new here, hello and welcome. Thank you for checking the show out. Returning Spooksters, welcome back. If you would like to hang out with us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle there is at 3 Spooked Girls. We also have a Facebook group you can join us in too. That is 3 Spooked Girls Official. And if you would like to support the show, you can head to patreon.com backslash 3 Spooked Girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month and all of the backlog and all of our OG episodes that we have archived. Five and Up gets you video content and you get my once a month Haunted Ground series, which is on a cursed object slash haunted object. And from there, it goes on up. But before we get started, we're going to go ahead and take a quick promo break, and we will be right back. Lights off, flashlight on, then it's time for The Creepover, the weekly creepiest slumber party podcast you never knew you needed. Growing up, were you the Wednesday Adams of your friend group? That kid in the corner who wanted to talk serial killers? Were your favorite activities tempting the fates with a Ouija board and playing Bloody Mary in the bathroom mirror? Then this is the sleepover for you. 
Join us each week as we delve into a new creeptastic topic, ranging from the paranormal to true crime to urban legend. Consider us your BFF Scully and Mulder, as I, Allie, give a semi-believer's perspective. And I, Catherine, come at things from a more skeptical viewpoint. It's The Creepover, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, with new episodes every Friday night. Remember... When the going gets tough, don't be afraid to scream like a girl. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. Since Jessica is not here, I am the one choosing the drinks today. And since Matt and I don't drink anymore, he 100% doesn't drink. And honestly, I don't even remember the last time I drank. I decided since we are talking about Vlad the Impaler and Dracula is closely associated with this topic to pick Dracula's bloody mocktail. And of course, it'll be on the Pinterest. It sounds super good. You just need cranberry ginger ale, mixed berry Italian soda, or any other kind of like that. Red gel icing and ice. It's super, super simple, but it looks like from the picture, a cute Halloween-y type drink because they also have like fake fangs in there as well. Super cute. So check that out on our Pinterest page, which is linked in the show notes for you. I mean, I'd be willing to try that. Right? Except like... Where do you buy Italian soda? Oh, shoot. I don't even know if we could get that here. <laughs> I don't even know what Italian soda is. <laughs> like, not to sound like an idiot. I don't know what regular Italians, like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. I've only seen it at, like, the <laughs> the coffee huts. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I feel like you could do, I don't know, like a, well, if you're already doing gr- cranberry ginger ale, I don't know. If anyone knows what the fuck, where to buy that shit, just let us know. We probably can't get it in Alaska, but it's fine. All right. Well, like I said, we are talking about Vlad the Impaler today. Matt is going to be handling the true story of Vlad. And then I am going to talk about misconceptions, how it's linked to Dracula, and then kind of chit chat about some media a little bit to wrap us up. So I'll hand it over to you. All right. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Like was already discussed, we are talking about Vlad the Impaler, and just a small disclaimer to everybody, this does take place in what is now known as Romania, mm-hmm. so a lot of these names and places are very tough to pronounce. I'm going to do the best I can. I did spell them out phonetically, so that way I could take a shot at it, but if I butcher it, please, you know, don't <laughs> make fun of me too bad. I'm doing the best <laughs> I can. You know, I am... From Pennsylvania originally, so there wasn't very unique names. We had a lot of like Yoders and stuff running Dutch. around, but that was about yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It'll so be okay. <laughs> it, it's it's gonna be a good time, but we're gonna get through this together and we will come out better on the other side. <laughs> or horrified, it's fine. <laughs> or that, you know, there's there's always that too. Okay, so getting right into it. So we are talking about Vlad the Impaler. That is one of his aliases that he is very well known for, and we will understand why that is here in a little while. But his real name is Vlad the Third Dracula, or Dracula, depending on how you want to pronounce it. He is the son of Vlad the Second Dracul. And again, we will identify why they're Dracula and Dracul here in a second when I get to it. So Vlad was born in 1431 in Sigasora which is a city inside of what is now Romania. He was a prince of Wallachia, that's the the country, who is known for cruel methods of punishment, 
for anybody that opposed him throughout the 15th century. So one of the unproven things that is circulating about Vlad is that Bram Stoker based Dracula off of his life. He used a lot of details in writing Dracula that very closely relate to Vlad. And Tara will be covering that here in a little while. We're going to talk about fact versus myth, obviously, and she's going to take charge of that. So you guys will get to dive down that well as well. All right. So Vlad was the second of four brothers born into a noble family in 1431. His eldest brother, Mircea, and then his younger brother, Raduce, or Raduce, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And then he also had a half-brother from an illegitimate conception of his father Mm. outside of wedlock. Mm -hmm. And they don't even really talk about his illegitimate brother very often. But he was also named Vlad, so they just, Mm. they love their Vlads. (laughs) Is that like, that was like a common name for that time, yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. area, I mean. There's, we're going to run into a couple more Vlads throughout the all the, the Vlad's. whole story of <laughs> Vlad the Impaler. Okay, okay. The Vlads. Gotcha. Okay, so there are m- rumors of more children running around Wallachia belonging to Vlad's father, who was also named Vlad. <laughs> and, you know, so they're not really sure exactly how many were in Vlad's family, mm-hmm. but guaranteed fact was he was the second child born to three blood brothers. Mm-hmm. So Vlad's father, Vlad II, was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, which was created by the Holy Roman Empire to protect all Christian land from the invading Ottoman Empire, which consisted of mostly Muslim religion. So the Order of the Dragon is where Vlad adopted Dracol, his last name, his surname. And the sigil, the dragon, was actually added to the family crest because of that. Mm -hmm. So the Ottoman Empire was, again, mostly Muslim, ransacking all across southern Europe, moving up towards the Holy Roman Empire. And then you have Wallachia right in the middle between the Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire. And they're kind of balancing the the fighting on both sides, not really Mm -hmm. sure what to do at that time. So in 1436, Vlad II assumed principality of Wallachia and moved his family to Targovishta, okay, which is, it's considered to be the capital of Wallachia, although it is not the official capital, okay? So it was very fancy at that time, mostly because it was very well protected. It was a 14-foot thick wall all the way around this town. And the Saxons that actually built this town, which are of German descent, you know, they allowed Vlad and his family to live inside this town. And so he got to experience this kind of stuff. So that was Targovishta, and that was inside Wallachia where Vlad II moved them. So in 1442, Vlad III and Radu, his younger brother, were sent to the Ottoman Sultan, Murad II, to assure him that his father, Vlad II, Dracol, would support all Ottoman policies, contrary to his appointed position. So as the Principality of Wallachia, under the Holy Roman Empire, he was supposed to support the Holy Roman Empire and all of their dealings and that kind of stuff against the Ottomans. However, Vlad's father, Vlad, (laughs) <laughs> also 
was playing both sides, essentially. He mm-hmm. was telling the Romans that he was supporting the Romans, but he was also telling the Ottomans that he was supporting the Ottomans. Mm. So it's just kind of, you know, and you know that's not going to end well. No. <laughs> You're fucked once that gets figured out. Play both sides and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So while Vlad and Radu were with the Ottoman Sultan Murad, they were actually kept as hostages after the initial greeting. So they went down there just to say, hey, Sultan, you know, our dad is going to support you. He's going to do the right thing. And the Sultan said, yeah, that's all well and good. But to make sure he does, we're going to keep you. And they Mm. kept him hostages down there in the Ottoman Empire, away from his family. And, you know, at this time, they were like 10 and 7. I think they were. Yeah, so they were fairly young. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Radu being the younger brother, he was young enough that he did, wasn't 100% sure what was going on, right. but Vlad did. Yeah. So in 1448, okay, so they went down there in 1442. Now, six years later, it's 1448, mm-hmm. Vlad mm-hmm. and Radu now returned to Turgovishta after learning that his father and his older brothers were assassinated. Oh, fuck. At the hands of Wallachian boyars, which are nobles in the area. So Vlad's cousin, Vladislav, there's another Vlad for you, was given the throne of Wallachia as he was believed to be more easily influenced by the boyars. Hmm. So the boyars are understood to have been the true power of the country, the throne, the king. That was just kind of the face of the power when mm-hmm. behind the throne was the boyars, the nobles. Okay. What they wanted to happen would happen. Uh-huh. And if the king didn't go along with him, he got assassinated. So that's what happened to Vlad's father. Gotcha. So at this point, Vlad's father was dead. Vlad's older brother was dead. So now you have 15-year-old, 15, 16-year-old Vlad and, you know, younger Radu yeah. who are back in Wallachia with no parents. No mom, no dad, no older brother. Do you know, did he let them go because their dad was dead or did it say, or did it say like, no, they they just went home? So it did say that when they learned of the assassination, Murad actually released them. Okay, gotcha. And then what happened to their mom? So the mom, there's not a whole lot about their mom. Okay. Vlad, Vlad's father was only married one time, guaranteed that they could find. But obviously there's concubines, there's all kinds of stuff that's running around the area and nothing could be set in stone at that point. Okay, so now we're getting into Vlad's first reign. Okay, so if you want to keep count, this is his first rise to power. So Vlad II was considered the rightful heir to the throne of Wallachia after Vladislav was appointed. Okay, so even though Vladislav took over the throne... Because Vlad was 16, 17 years old, he was still considered the rightful heir. He should have taken over, Mm -hmm. but they didn't give it to him. So fast forward to September 1448, Vladislav ventured into the Ottoman Empire as part of Hunyadi's campaign. So Hunyadi was a warlord set on destroying the Ottoman Empire. And we'll run back into Hunyadi here in a little bit as well. So during his absence from the throne, Vlad seized the opportunity and invaded Wallachia with Ottoman soldiers. So now he's being aided by the Ottoman soldiers, because remember, he stayed down there for six years. Mm -hmm. He must have made some friends. Right. So now he has Ottoman support, and he went back into Wallachia, 
and took his father's throne from Vladislav. So October 1448, a month later, Ottoman forces defeated Hunyadi's army in the Battle of Kosovo, and Vladislav headed for home only to find that Vlad III was on the seat of power. In December, two months later, Vlad was driven from Wallachia, traveling to Idern in the Ottoman Empire territory. So he was only in power for a grand total of four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's hmm. his first reign was a total of four months in 1448. Gotcha. Yeah. So after his uncle captures the throne in Moldova, Vlad III travels to Moldova to ask for support in retaking his father's throne again. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Moldova is another country, and his uncle is now in power there. Mm -hmm. While he was traveling, his uncle is killed, and Vlad, again, has to run away. You know, like every time he goes somewhere, somebody dies. This guy just couldn't catch a break. Nah. So he ran away again. This time he went to Transylvania. Ooh, Transylvania. Ah. Everybody knows that one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Transylvania, along with his cousin, he did request aid from Hunyadi. There he is again. Vlad III also learned of a three-year peace agreement between the Holy Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire. So now there was a three-year peace, no fire, nobody's going to do anything, and that kind of stagnated his advance for the throne, Mm -hmm. right? Because nobody could act against the throne because he didn't have any soldiers. Right. All right. So at that point, he was about to turn 18 or right about 18. So now begins his second reign. So Vladislav II had dispensed of a majority of the Wallachian boyars after he regained the throne in December 1448. He settled into Brasov, which is the official capital. Vlad III tried to also live in Brasov. However, Hunyadi refused to allow it for fear of unrest. Mm. So this is during the three-year peace and Vlad III wanted to live in Brasov, where the now ruler of Wallachia also lived, and they just they didn't think that would be a good idea, so he just wouldn't let it happen. Mm-hmm. So 1456, Vlad is now about 25 years old. Vlad now attacks Wallachia since the peace treaty is over with help from Hungarian forces. During the assault, Vladislav II was killed, and Vlad III now assumes principality of the throne of Wallachia later that year. So now he's in full throne, second reign, and Vladislav II is dead. So he doesn't have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Bye, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Everyone fucking dying. I'm like, hmm, is that a, that's an interesting coincidence because now it's like no problems for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the 15th century, so... Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> it's like, what's their lifespan back then? Maybe 40? Right. It's like, if you live to be 40 at that point, they're just like, man, you're old. Mm, exactly. All right, so the next year, 1457, Vlad III sets out to establish himself as a fair, assertive, and effective ruler. Remember that I said that. Fair, assertive, <laughs> and effective. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that was his intention at 25 years old. As an authoritarian personality, sources agree that thousands were executed soon after his ascension to power. Jesus. Thousands. And that's being fair. (laughs) (sighs) That's fucking crazy. Vlad is known to have invited... Oh, it gets better. Just 
wait for this. You ready? <laughs> so Vlad invites the homeless, the peddlers, and mm-hmm. any beggars to a night of partying of free food and drink. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. After all these in attendance eat and drink and become drunk to the point where they can't really do anything, the people were then locked into the hall and Vlad had his soldiers set fire to the hall, <gasps> killing everybody inside. Oh my God. Hundreds of people. He's a fucking dick. Why? Why? His reason for it. Oh, sorry. Was he saw them as less than human. Jesus Christ. He's a douche. He saw them as liars Mm -hmm. and thieves who contributed nothing and took everything from the sweat of other people's work. Wow. So that means he can play God and take their lives. Okay, Vlad, you're a douche. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) this is (laughs) at this point, he is 25 years old and this is him being fair. Jesus. Yeah. I know it's going to get worse. I know. I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is just the beginning. Okay. (laughs) So between 1457 and 1458, the next couple of events happen. There's no exact dates, but I just wanted to give you a quick range. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Vlad leads a campaign of purging his land of all the traitorous boyars who were seen as responsible for the deaths of his family, his father, his brother. Revenge. Mm -hmm. Possibly his uncle and some others. Mm -hmm. This was one of the first of many horrific acts that he will be known for. He invites all the boyars, their wives, and their (gasps) children to celebrate Easter in 1457. Yeah. All right, so hundreds of people show up. Men are the nobles. Those are the boyars, Mm -hmm. their wives and their kids. They all show up. Vlad questions the group on how many princes the land has had. Just ask a general question to the whole group to see what anybody says. Mm -hmm. Nobody could give him a straight answer. Not one person could give him a real answer. So when they could not answer, that's what sealed their fate. Vlad proudly announced to pay for your treason 10 years ago when you treacherously assassinated my father. Each head of family will have the honor of being skewered alive with a stake up his aristocratic rectum. (laughs) Just going to let that sink in for a second. Like we watched a documentary or like a history channel episode and we saw like they showed like a picture and I was like, it looks like the stakes are up their ass. No, they're really up their ass. And it's just like you want to laugh for a second, but like. Can you imagine that fucking pain? Because, (laughs) (laughs) right. I'm just saying, though, because, like, obviously, that's a slow death. Oh, yeah. You know? So I'm going to get to that here. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the stakes are normally sharpened and driven through the body. That's the normal way of impalement. Okay. However, Vlad decided that that was too quick and good of a death for these traitors. Instead, the stakes were blunted. Mm. So he very slightly rounded the ends of it to give Mm -hmm. it a nice fist shape (laughs) and greased it (gasps) and inserted them into the anus. I mean, at least they greased it, I guess. Eh. I don't know if that's really going (laughs) to fucking help. Yeah, I don't don't know. (laughs) So imagine this, okay? So... These guys are laid down on the ground, stripped naked, yeah, and a stake 
the size of your forearm is inserted into this guy's butt. And then it stood up and seated into the ground. Oh, my God. Then, using their own body weight, (gasps) the stake slowly works its way through the body, Mm -hmm. deeper and deeper, puncturing all the internal organs until it finally works its way out of the body somewhere. Oh, my God. It can come out their chest. It can come out their side, their back. There are reports of some of them coming out of their mouths. (gasps) That's just like hours and hours and hours of torture because you you that's not an instant death. That's going to take a long no. time. Jesus. Absolutely. There there are reports of people being up there for days. Oh, my God. So death was not quick. No. I wonder. They, I'm sure some of them probably passed out from like the fucking pain and shit, though, at least. Hopefully. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Ugh. So Vlad loved it. Right. Vlad loved this entire thing. There's actually a picture that reports him sitting down with a nice cloth dinner table and eating his dinner, watching these guys get skewered. Mm hmm. I've seen that. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Like, how fucked in the head are you to be like, yes, this is what I want to do? Like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, I don't know if I'll ever look at a kebab the same way again. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> God, it's just like, it's wild. I, like, I'm trying to think of anybody whose level of fucked up, like, matches that. And right now, it's just like, no, no. Maybe Jigsaw. I mean, that's a fictional person, but maybe Jigsaw from Saw. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even think, like, Jeffrey Dahmer is that bad. I mean, he killed them first, but he didn't sit there. And if anybody knows, if any, like, I'm just like horrified and want to know if anybody knows if there's any killers who did like this kind of shit. Let me know. Let me know. Okay, go on. (laughs) (laughs) So Vlad seizes money, goods, lands, property of all of these boyars, all his victims, and redistributes it to anybody who was loyal to him throughout Mm -hmm. his province. Mm -hmm. Now, this drastically change the politics of the region because remember before the king didn't have a whole lot of power the boyars had the power right Mm -hmm. but now a majority of them are dead they're right you know sticking up out of the ground being like hello and (laughs) hanging around oh god but those that were loyal to him were being rewarded so now they're given bigger land bigger influence bigger you know Mm -hmm. possessions well yeah and that Yeah, that just kind of drove them to support Vlad even more. Right, exactly, because if they didn't, they're going to fucking end up on a stake like their fucking other people. Absolutely. So the survivors of the Easter Sunday massacre, so the women, Mm -hmm. the children, Mm -hmm. some of the older men, they were marched about 50 miles into the mountains nearby where they were then turned into slaves to help build one of Vlad's castles. Okay. And there's plenty of reports on how bad it was in the situation. These castle walls were 60 plus feet tall, mm-hmm. you know, four or five feet thick in, in the smaller places and up to 14 feet thick in the other places. And they used river stone, they used sand, they used all kinds of things to get these walls built. And, you know, we got kids Doing this kind of stuff. Is this the one that had that like putty stuff in the walls? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is the one that used. Wasn't lime. Was it lime? 
It was lime putty, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it was it was lime putty because it never truly sets. Yeah, because they have earthquakes there. Remember, Romania is on a fault line, mm-hmm. so there's earthquakes. So with the lime putty not really setting, you know, the walls kind of moved with the land, right. so the castle still stands for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, if anybody chooses to venture to Romania, you can actually go visit this castle, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool looking. And, you know, I, I'd love to go check it out someday. And that's the one that, like, it starts with a B. I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's that one, right? Yeah. yeah I don't even think I could pronounce it if you paid me. <laughs> no, I. it was like, I think what I found, I'm, I'll find it later when I talk, but I bet they, like, shortened it in the articles I read because it was, like, four letters or some. Sh- it was, like, a short name. Oh, I'll yeah, find no. it later. This oh, thing okay. was, like, at least 16 to 20 letters when I was looking at it. Yeah, and, and it, I felt like I had to buy a vowel to pronounce <laughs> this thing. All right. <laughs> so Vlad continues to pay tributes to the Ottomans throughout this entire period, which made the Hungarians angry. Remember, the Hungarians are the ones that helped him regain power. Mm-hmm. So Hungarian General Ladislas Hunyadi, there's Hunyadi, yeah. son of John Hunyadi, who led the army into Ottoman land, called for support for Vladislav's brother, Dan II, who challenged for Vlad's seat. So Vladislav was the guy that was in charge of Wallachia. He died. So his brother Dan now wants the throne from Vlad. So now Vlad has another challenger. Mm-hmm. And it's just this whole back and forth thing for the next few years. So March 1457, Ladislaus Hunyadi was subsequently executed by Ladislaus V, king of Hungary. Mm. So now this guy that called for aid for Dan was just killed by the king of Hungary. This led to a rebellion in Hungary, which saw a period of unrest and constantly shifting power. Vlad III's relationship with many surrounding governments were consistently shifting with fear of losing his throne. So whoever he thought would regain power, he would tell them that, hey, I'm loyal to you. Of course. And then if he saw a shift in power, he would then contact somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, say what you want about the man. He knew how to play those games. Oh, yeah. War with the Saxons, the Germans, living in the area was inevitable as they supported Dan with their wares until his death in April of 1459 at Vlad's hand. So the Saxons were living all around Targovishta. They were the traders and, you know, they ran a lot of the wares in and out of the country and they supported Dan, not Vlad. So Vlad had a problem with that. In turn, Vlad killed Dan. So, you know, mm-hmm. that whole challenge of power is over. Yeah. Not really something to worry about. Or so he thought. So Vlad negotiates peace for the nation of Wallachia by banishing any of Dan III's supporters and impaling thousands regardless of age and gender. (gasps) Okay, so kids, women, children, didn't matter. If they refused to leave Wallachia because they supported Dan, Mm. they got impaled. Jesus. 90% of the Saxons, the ware traders, Mm -hmm. left Wallachia. So now you have Wallachia with a, a vacuum of now they can't get the things they need. Yeah. So this takes us into the Ottoman War. So in late, 1459, Vlad's influence and power grows in Southeast Europe. He decides to no longer pay tribute to the Ottoman Sultan. He just wants to stop it. He's done, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
Mehmed II was the childhood friend of his younger brother, Radu. Mm. Remember when they lived in the Ottoman Empire by the yeah. Sultan? Mm-hmm. Mehmed is that Sultan's son, who is now the Sultan. Oh, okay. Okay. Sultan Mehmed II learned of this and contracted a Greek politician to lure Vlad to Constantinople, where he was to be punished. Instead, Vlad executed the Greek as well as the man who was hired to kill him. So he learned of this plan. Of course. Caught the guy, caught the other guy, and then just killed him. <laughs> was like, shame, shame. Stabby, stab. <laughs> Bye-bye. Impaley pale. <laughs> and wasn't, I think I read or heard, like, he wasn't even a big guy. Oh, no, right? not at like, all. Wasn't he, like, small? Yeah, he, he wasn't, <laughs> yeah. like short or anything he was average height for nowadays but back then that was big Uh oh that's true okay okay so it's not anything substantial but because he was noble he ate well he was well educated Mm -hmm. he was well trained he was knowledgeable he was smart you know he had all these things going for him and that led him to be healthy gotcha okay so The coming months showed Vlad as having a strong military mind as well when he sees the fortress of, this is going to be horrible, I promise you, (laughs) Giurju. I swear to God, that's how you pronounce it. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Giurju. (laughs) From Turkish control. Okay. Mehmed II raised an army of 150,000. Wow. And declared Radu... Vlad's younger brother, the rightful heir of Wallachia. So he is saying, Vlad, you're out. You know, you're not going to pay tribute. You're not going to honor our agreement. You're out. And Radu, who was Mehmed's friend, Mm -hmm. was told, hey, that's your throne now. Go take it. So in May of 1462, the Ottoman fleet arrives in Wallachia by way of the port on the Danube River. All right. So the Danube Valley was like, the largest water in Romania mm-hmm. at the time. And without that port, Wallachia couldn't get any wares. And now we have the Ottoman fleet parked in this mm-hmm. port. So not only did they deliver soldiers, but now they essentially set up a blockade of wares and goods so they can't get anything in. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. It's a strong power move for the Ottomans. So Vlad was overwhelmed by the sheer size of the Ottoman Empire and retreated across his lands using the scorched earth method. Do you know what the scorched earth method means? You think I know what that means? <laughs> I just wanted to ask. So <laughs> so anybody that has any type of history knowledge, the scorched earth method is a method of retreat where as you move across the mm-hmm. land, you raise and pillage and burn mm. and poison all the crops and buildings and everything across your yeah. land, right? Uh-huh. And while it sounds really, really bad, it was a very smart move on Vlad's part. He took all his people and they moved with him. He didn't kill them. He just took them with him. Ooh. As he moved across the land and he burned down the villages, he poisoned the water supply. He killed the cows and let them rot. Basically, so they couldn't go back. Exactly. They had no supplies. Yeah. So as these 150,000 troops marched across his land, they needed a supply train and they didn't have it. Mm -hmm. 
So actually, the Japanese did the same thing in the Philippines hmm. during World War II. Gotcha. They did the same thing. They poisoned the water supply so our Marines could not get water. Ugh, horrible. So it's it's a common thing for yeah. wartime. Okay. So that was scorched earth. So then 16 June 1462, Vlad and a small contingent of cavalry, horse-mounted soldiers, managed to sneak into the Ottoman camp while they slept. I don't know how you sneak a horse into a camp, but... Yeah, I mean, even if they're not, like, you know, acting, like, all crazy, they're noisy animals. Maybe people just, like, slept really hard? I don't know. I mean, because, like, at that time, a lot of people... Well, because, like, think about it. A lot of people at that time, one of the main things to drink was wine versus water, because a lot of places, drinking water was not safe to consume, so... Exactly. They just all pass the fuck out. I guess. I bet it was even worth with the scorched earth thing going on because they didn't have drinking water. Yeah. So it's like all they fucking had. Now it was just a party. They're just getting shmammered. That and they're dehydrated. So they're just all fucked. It's fine. (laughs) Good time. Chocolate wasted. Oh, God. (laughs) All right. So so his intentions were to ride through the Sultan's tent. He just wanted Mm -hmm. to take this contingent and full bore ride right through the Sultan's tent crushing him and killing him before Mm. his guards knew what was happening. Instead, Mm -hmm. they rode through the vizier's tent. Who's that? So the vizier is like the royal, basically he's um, the grand vizier and the vizier. They make recommendations to the sultan. Mm. Hey, sir, I would do this, right? This is what's going on in your land. This is what the people are saying. You should do this. Mm -hmm. But these viziers also served Mehmed's father. So they've been around Mehmed forever. So the viziers are dead. Vlad realized he screwed up. And now he flees again back to Targovishta, right? So before they were just kind of bounding back a tactical retreat using scorched earth. And this time they just went full out and headed for Targovishta, their big high peaks and, you know, clearly defensible terrain. Mehmed follows him, intending to end the war in the stronghold town. Instead, the Ottoman army was met with a ghost town, abandoned or so they thought. As they traveled through the town, they break out the other side, and they're met with thousands of impaled carcasses spread over seven square miles. Jesus. It is estimated roughly 20,000 impaled (gasps) bodies were found over those lands. Oh my god. That's insane. Like, could you imagine the psychological effect? And this is all psychological warfare Mm. at that point. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So these guys are coming through the town. It's abandoned. All right, cool. Whatever. They come out the other side. Nope, not abandoned. Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So over the next few months, Vlad loses a series of defeats and flees to Chilia outside of Wallachia. So now he has to leave his country. It's open. Mehmed leaves Wallachia as well. However, he gives the throne and the army to Radu, his younger brother. Mm-hmm. So now Radu has been placed in charge of the Ottoman army. Though Vlad defeats his brother numerous times, large numbers of people begin to defect. Mm-hmm. So they're leaving Vlad's army or Vlad's towns and they're going to join Radu. You know, Vlad's hurting on on goods, on capabilities and yeah. the the ability to support his his people right now. He just can't do it because he's not in his country. 
So these people are, are abandoning ship. Oh, oh. By November 1462, Vlad is captured Ooh. by a Czech mercenary named John Jiskra of Brandis. So he is a mercenary. John ain't gonna fuck around. Bye, Vlad. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> he takes Vlad and turns him over to the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. Vlad loses his crown <laughs> and is, is imprisoned for the next 14 years. Dang. After 14 years, he's finally released after an old friend pleads his case to Stephen III of Moldova, Mm. who finally releases him. He's like, yep, you know what? You're old at this point, right? He's (laughs) nearing 40. You're You're not going to live much longer. (laughs) So so he lets him go. He, He sends him away. Yeah. Okay, so... Right now we're looking at, it's about Mm -hmm. 1476-ish. Vlad is released from prison. He raises another army. A fucking course. Like, come on. I say this every time. Somebody, listen, you don't, you, Jessica's tired of hearing this shit, but you have not heard this. Literally, anytime there's a case, I don't give a fuck what time period it is, and they let someone out because they're too old to fucking do anything. I always bring up, there's this case. And everyone's like, God damn, Tara, shut up. But it's fine. Of this like 80, <laughs> I bring it up a lot. I'm sorry. 80 plus something year old dude who had like killed somebody. So he was in prison. But they're like, oh, he's old as fuck. He's not going to kill nobody. Literally the day he got out, he fucking stabbed somebody to death and went right back to jail. So like fucking Absolutely. stupid. Yeah. Age does not fucking matter. If someone's evil, they're going to just fucking keep on as long as they can. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's reciprocity, right? Uh-huh. No, there's another term for it, and I can't remember what it is now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people just consistently doing the same shit that got them in trouble the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So now we got old man Vlad, you know, rocking 40-year-old, <laughs> raising another army, oh, and he goes no. back to Wallachia. Of course he does. He goes back to Wallachia against an Ottoman-placed ruler, Basarab Leota. In November 1476, Vlad reclaims the Principality of Wallachia. Mm. So he is now king again of, course. of Wallachia. So anybody that's counting, oh, what that's three times. That is three times he has retaken the throne. Yeah. Ugh. However, his third reign does not last long. That's good. As Basarab returns with a larger Ottoman army. In December 1476, Vlad III Dracula dies fighting Basarab Leota and the Ottoman Empire. Yay. His grave, his grave mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is currently unknown. Ooh. Nobody knows where it is. Yeah. As it's lost throughout time. Mm-hmm. Spooky. And that's the end of Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> well done, well done. All right. Well, obviously... You know, we gonna get into the misconceptions and vampires because oh, it's a fucking clusterfuck. So, well, the good vampires, not the sparkly ones. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> good is relative with that, but yes. So, when it comes to the story of of Vlad the Impaler that we just went over, there's like I said, just so many misconceptions. The biggest one is that the ties he has with Dracula, and then that snowballs into 
Vlad being a real-life vampire and all of this, which, you know, in true form. I'll get into that in a minute. So the first misconception I want to talk about is that it is rumored that Vlad would eat flesh from his victims or would dip his bread in their blood. Like Matt talked about, he did set up a fucking table and it's like, "Mm -mm, this is a great place for my tea party while these people are fucking bleeding out and dying. But obviously this led people to think he's either a cannibal or a vampire. And... I did read, fun fact, or not fun fact, that the Romans did drink the blood of some of their victims, but Vlad did not. And the reason why this even became a rumor was because there was a poem written in 1463. I'm not going to say the actual name. I'm going to say the translated name. It's called The Story of a Violent Madman Called Viavode Dracula of... Wallachia? That's not right, but okay. That's Wallachia, yeah. Oh, Wallachia. Thank so you. So, v- Viavode is the principality. That's him being a prince. Oh, okay. So, Prince Dracula. Yeah, so it's Prince Dracula of Wallachia. Wallachia. Okay, so W sound like V's. Got it. Yes. It's, yeah, very German. Gotcha. Okay. So, I'll probably say it wrong again, but it's fine. <laughs> this poem was performed for the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick III. And when it was translated in the 20th century, it included the idea that Vlad dipped his bread in the blood of the men, women, and children he had impaled. But when scholars started looking at this, one is Radu Florescu and the other is Raymond McNally. They wanted to make sure this translation was correct. They actually found that it included the term basically. So like basically he dipped his blood in the or his bread in the blood. So obviously people just mistranslated that. But then when it was looked at again by other people, they were like, no, 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 it doesn't say that at all. And it actually said that he washed his hands in their blood, which obviously still disturbing and very Elizabeth Bathory, but like not cannibal, not vampire-esque. So another thing obviously surrounds like his death and his body and everything. One story is obviously that the story Matt told where he died in the fight and all of that. Some say his own men killed him either accidentally or on purpose. Who knows? You know, he was a dick now, (laughs) but you know, all of that. And it was basically also said to like, there is a chance he was assassinated by people that were just tired of his shit. So, you know, we're not going to know. We're not going to know because it was so fucking long ago. Which was absolutely rampant, too. Right, exactly. So the most popular ones, obviously, that he was beheaded and then his head was sent to the sultan and all of that stuff. Hmm. Allegedly, the rest of his body was taken to, sorry, guys, it's Snagov church. It said that Stefan the Wanderer suggested that he didn't ultimately rest there and that his body was then taken to Constantinople and then on to Sevti Georgie, a Bulgarian monastery where monks supposedly hoped to save his soul. But that church has been excavated and the only bones that they have found there were for were horses. So no human bones. And then apparently there, there's this like totally far-fetched one that's like obviously not fucking true. This college student claimed that she found that there was a dragon-like creature in an Italian church and that meant he was buried there, like a sculpture or some kind of artwork. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And this was a sign that his death, he faked his death and he went to Naples. I guess he had a daughter. He went to Naples with his daughter. I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous, but obviously y'all know I mention anything I fucking find. <laughs> okay. So with Vlad, what I learned when looking up this kind of stuff, the most hot topic is, was Vlad the inspiration for Bram Stoker? Is it Stoker? It's Stoker, Stoker, right? Yeah. No, R. I mistyped over there. Stoker. Not Stroker. I know. Stoker. I got it. Shut up. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> Spoilers. I have not read that. Don't judge me. Spoilers, but probably not for those that are like super into this story. Most likely, no, he didn't. But I actually kind of argue that with some stuff I found. So we'll see. Let me know what you think when I'm done. While it, he may not have been the, he wasn't the sole inspiration, but I think like very much there are pieces there. People apparently online and in the like scholarly world of this kind of thing are very polarized. They're like, yes or fuck no. Pretty much there's this lady I'm going to talk about. She has this website where she's like, let me list the 500 things why this is not fucking possible. She literally wrote a whole book on it because she's a Dracula expert. And I was like, okay, calm down. It's fine. (laughs) But like, (laughs) honestly, it's really fair to say that as Dracula and his story evolved over time in the media, it has turned into yes. And I'll explain. I'll explain. But the classic novel, it was published in 1897. And this is what implanted that Vlad was a vampire. So when working on his novel, Stoker did research and took inspiration from, like I said, tons of places. Now, the name Dracula came later on. He had like a different name, like Count. It looks like vampire, but it has a W, but you said W sound like V's. So it was like Count Vampire, basically. Mm -hmm. And the name Dracula is said to be from Slavonic genetic form of Dracul, which, you know, his dad's name makes sense. And that means, like we've talked about already, dragon and Dracula being son of dragon. Now, in modern Romanian, in their language, Drac means devil. So it could be son of devil. And Stoker was Irish and in Gaelic, Dracula roughly slash loosely translates to bad blood, which I found interesting as well. It is noted and confirmed that he for sure took inspiration from Attila the Hun, who, you know, he was ruler from 434 to 453, and he was said to be one of the most feared enemies of the Western and Eastern Roman empires. He was not a good person either. So, you know, you know. And the other thing, oh, here it is. It says Brancastle, but obviously we know it's a long name now, so that's fine. But that's just what articles mm-hmm. I was reading referred it as, so that's what we're going to call it. Another like thing that's misconcepted or debated is that Dracula's castle was Brancastle, and he used it as inspo for that. Which, I mean, I would say, yeah, that's not really a stretch because like that's in Transylvania, and that's what led to Transylvania being marketed and, you know, universally known as the home for vampires. So, you know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, Transylvania was like his summer home, though. So, you know. And I just like, I don't know. I just found some other interesting facts about Transylvania, too. It said that it sits on one of the Earth's strongest magnetic fields. And it's rumored. You can do what you want with that. People have extra sensory perception there. So, mm. and that <laughs> vampires in this area like to hang at the crossroads on April 23rd, St. George's Day, and the Eve of St. Andrew, November 29th. But, you know, it is what it is. Also, in, like, evidence of his research and stuff, he did take a lot of inspiration from a different castle called the New Slains Castle in Scotland, which is cool. But 
How all this can tie into our boy Vlad is, besides the name, obviously, like I said, depending on like what scholar you go with, what camp you're in, all of that, is that Stoker did research Romanian folklore. He did. And they have a quote from him describing it as a whirlpool for the imagination. And what even caught his attention for this type of folklore was an article by Emily Girard on Transylvanian superstitions in 1885. So deny that all you want, naysayers. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> like some say that he knew nothing about Vlad, that he might have read about him in a short passage. And basically that was it. Da da da. I mean, like, yes, fine. I do acknowledge. Obviously, he had inspo from other cultures and places. Yes, he did. Because that's literally in his notes, which is in a museum in Philly, actually. And I think they published. I don't know if they published the full thing or part of it. I saw like something pop up, but obviously it was like. A Barnes and Noble listing type of thing, not not anything you could view online. But Stoker had this friend named Herman Wamberger, aka Arminius Vanberry. I'm just gonna call him Herman. Basically, Herman was a historian, and the two of them met in London, and Stoker used Herman as a consultant, basically, to help with the character of Dracula. And this is who he is believed to really have learned about Vlad from. There's obviously no documentation of this anywhere, that kind of thing. But like, honestly, it was the 1800s and they still very well could have had these conversations. It's very, very likely. And I know when reading about the book and stuff, I guess there's a character in there that that he does a nod to that has the name Arminius or like a name very similar to that. So there is that too. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. But other ties to Vlad in the Dracula story is, you know, his hometown, the monastery I mentioned, Bran Castle, and the city of Brasov, you know, which we already talked about. So I just, I'm like, these are interesting coincidences if he knew nothing about Vlad, just saying, but, you know, it's fine. And like I said, there's a Dracula expert who's a huge, like... Fuck no, Vlad had nothing to do with this shit. Her name's Elizabeth Miller. Her site will be on the sources page because I did, you know, poke through it because it it's interesting. Like, I want to know all the different points of view. And if you guys think that Vlad had nothing to do with Dracula, that's fine, too. I just I think <laughs> maybe a little, maybe not as much as like people might think, but like definitely some inspiration there, in my opinion. But it's just interesting to read that. And obviously, to kind of shift us towards media a little bit. So the novel like definitely is a pinnacle when it comes to vampire media. If you look up like movies, literature, games, everything, there's just there's so much. You know, there's that one movie with Bella Lugosi from like the 30s. There was one in the 20s. There's like all fucking kinds. And then I was like really curious because like I don't really fuck with vampire video games and stuff. So I was like, is there Vlad video games? And there actually is. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, there's a lot. There's one... I think it's Vlad Tempest Dracula, 1997. I think it's that one. There's one that essentially, when I was reading about it, it's like, yeah, it's like Mario, but with vampire. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how that would work. I don't know. Like, basically, you're in the castle and stuff. It's not like anything too, like, crazy. But there's definitely, like, PC games and things like that. And, you know, he's popped up in other games, like said Assassin's Creed, his character kind of pops up and then kind of scooting over into like Dracula and stuff like Castlevania was said to be a big one that started in like the 80s and stuff, you know, and I never played that, but I figured you'd know what that was. Yep. 
Castlevania is a good one. Yeah, and there's like a fuck ton of them from what I saw. And like, you know, besides the classic movies, there's been tons of a little bit more recent movies that have come out. There's Dracula Untold from 2014, which bases around that Vlad was him. Because like, that's kind of what's happened as time has went on with storytelling with Dracula is Vlad has become Dracula's backstory. Yep. Which is, you know, which is interesting. I think it's cool. And there's, you know, there's tons of movies. Apparently there was one that came out a little more recently, but it didn't have good reviews. It was like 2018, maybe a little later. But I think that's why it influenced a lot of people that Vlad was the main inspiration, the end all be all for inspiration for Dracula. You know what I mean? So I thought, I was like, okay, okay. But I also did read too that Elizabeth Bathory could have very well also been inspiration as well from this. And then I know for books, I had read his great grand nephew. They wrote like a sequel in the earlier 2000s, I guess, Hmm. on that. So that might be interesting to check out. But because we are talking about vampires now, I found a list of the 14 best vampire movies ever made. Oh, geez. So I figured I would tell you guys real quick just to give you some funness. I swear to God, if Twilight's on this list, I'm going to quit right now. (laughs) It's not. It's not. I know this episode's not about vampires, but I thought that was just because there's just a lot of gruesome, like kind of depressing shit with this. I thought it would be fun to wrap it up with. So this is from IndieWire.com. You can check it out if you want. Number 14 is the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Hell yeah. It's an okay movie. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. I've watched it quite a bit. One called The Addiction that came out in 1995. So basically, it's about this girl. She's attacked by a European woman who looks like an opera singer. And then she starts, you know, having like thirst for blood and things like that. It says, think of The Addiction as the new age version of the vampire story, jazzy and slick with rhythms of the mid-90s New York City. Ooh. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so I don't know about that one. And then there's one called Near Dark, and this one came out in 87. So I feel like it's a gorgeous, gory, and romantically gooey film set in the small Midwestern town Near Dark. Okay, so this is like Twilight before Twilight and without the glitter. Okay, okay. There's one called Thirst, which is a bit more recent. It's a South Korean set, or maybe it might be in a film there. I'm not sure. Came out in 2009. And we have Daughters of... I've never heard of any of these. We got another 70s one called Daughters of Darkness. The picture's really awkward. It's like this vampy lady making this chick kiss this dude. I don't know what's happening there. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) Oh, because of the vampiric mind control, probably. Yeah. Ganja and Hess is number nine. And this was also in 1973. Damn, they're picking a lot of ones from there. It says, anthropologist Hess Green is stabbed with an ancient ceremonial dagger by his unstable assistant, George Maida, endowing him with the blessing of immorality and the curse of an unquenchable thirst for blood. (sighs) When George's wife, Ganja, comes, I'm like, that's weed. Searching for her missing husband, she and Hess develop some kind of weird romance. Okay. What We Do in the Shadows. Okay. Okay. I can get with that one. That's a good one. Yes. I like that movie. Bram Stoker's Dracula. That movie, the 1992 version, apparently. Eh, that one's okay. Yeah. I don't... Like, looking at the picture, I feel like I might have watched this one, but I'm not too sure. We have Isle of Dead from 1945. I don't know. Classic ones like that are like at least funny to watch, even if they're not that great of a movie. So you could give it a chance. Just like Robert Eggers, 
Seegers, the witch. In this film, what you think is mythic nonsense may actually be real, yet the darkest threat of all may not be evil beings that will do horrible things to you. It's those that will awaken the horrible impulses inside you that do not exist. Oh, Jesus. Or that you think don't exist. Ooh. Oh, we have a Guillermo del Toro movie called Kronos that came out in 93. Okay. I'm like, what is this fucking... I think, like, because this was an indie website, that's why. I'm like, what the fuck are these movies? But (laughs) number four is Only Lovers Left Alive from 2013. You'll, I feel like you'll, I don't know what this is going to say. I just see Twilight in here and I feel like they're making fun of them. If the fashionable bloodsucker of the Twilight movies traded their frantic stares for expression of ennui, it's ennui. Ennui. Oh, God. Okay, friends. They may have something in common with Adam and Eve. Gross. Who's Tom Hiddleston. Ooh, Tom Hiddleston. Okay. Oh, Loki. And Tilda Swinton. Yes. The retro cool vampires at the heart of Only Lovers Left. Removed from the supernatural context, the protagonists in this agreeably light, witty sketch of a movie fall in line with the bored retro cool outsiders found. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I feel like that one might be kind of interesting. Maybe. The Hunger, which was an 80s film, and the picture is very 80s slasher. It's like a bunch of blood, there's somebody laying on the ground, and this girl clutching her chest being like, (gasps) you know, crying. (laughs) (laughs) That looks like a good one. Let the Right One In from 2008. I've seen the poster for that, but I've never watched it. This is like more recent. This is 2008. Okay. And it's got like creepy kids, so you know. And then, of course, number one is, I don't know how to say it, but... That one from 1922, Nosferatu or some shit? Nosferatu. Yeah, that's the original Dracula movie. I did it. I did it. Yes, that's the one. Oh, an interesting fact about that, because you're probably like, why are you guys, why am I telling you these movies that nobody knows anything about? It's fine. But this one, because people do know, apparently when Stoker died, his wife sued them essentially for like copyright infringement. So a fuck ton of the originals of this movie had to be destroyed. Yeah, the uh, the original reel-to-reels, I'm guessing. That's crazy to me. It's so crazy. Yeah, exactly. But then they had that one with Bella Lugosi come out in the 30s. And that one said to be like the close. I think it was that one was supposed to be like the closest to the novel. So, you know, interesting, interesting stuff. Nosferatu is pretty good, though. Yeah, I've never watched that one either. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I'd have to. But yeah, so I thought those would just be some kind of fun, like maybe movies nobody heard about. If you want to check out the list and actually read the full thing, not me being like, oh, God, this is weird. It's on the sources page, too. But that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Vlad the Impaler and a little bit of vampire talk. We will go ahead and see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.